Hey friends, welcome back. Good to have you with us as we close out a week and as we uh, continue through the Gospel of Luke in the sixth chapter today, um, the third of a series of three stories that uh, Luke has been telling us about um, some conflict with the Pharisees. And we kind of get that theme continued here a little bit as we move into the sixth chapter. Start verse one here. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took from the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. One of those passages where there's probably some things that don't seem like they make a lot of sense on the front end for a lot of us. It's a cultural kind of passage. Um, the argument at hand here is what is legal on the Sabbath on Saturday, the Jewish holy day, and the idea that plucking grain constitutes work. They were very, very sincere about the idea of not doing work or labor on the holy day. And so the idea of harvesting is forbidden. Um, still see that in some conservative Christian communities that where farmers won't farm, for instance, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea here, that that in grabbing these stalks of grain, the disciples are doing what fits in the category of work, even though it seems very innocent and very small. It fits in under that label of work and is therefore forbidden. And so the Pharisees say, why, why do you do this? And Jesus counters with a story of the Old Testament where David um, fed his men with sacred bread, and then he ends with this statement, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And we see something like this in the other Gospels as well, but this is a declaration that essentially the, the Messiah, I, I won't say redefines the rules, but reinterprets them properly. And the back story here is probably that Jesus is insinuating that the Pharisees have it wrong, um, or maybe that they are guilty of legalism. Certainly, they're at least guilty of missing the point of who Jesus is, which the next story is going to confirm. But, um, you know, not a not a big conflict here, Michael, but certainly one that We've seen in other gospels, and we will continue to see the the Sabbath was one of the most important things to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, and so it's a it's a significant bone of contention that runs through the gospels. And in, yet, though, in some ways, still academic, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that yeah, disagree with me if if you don't agree with this, Clint. But I I think that like in the Gospel of John, you have a situation where Jesus's relationship with the Jewish leaders is sour from nearly the get-go. I mean, right from the start, mm-hmm. it's very, very contentious. And here, Luke, in some ways, warms us up slowly to that or shows how that relationship sours at a slightly more moderate pace, I think you could argue. And so, yes, this is a real debate being had in in the time between the Pharisees defining you know, how strict these rules should be, uh, how much Uh, of work is actually work and what isn't, and they're very particular about that. But they were having internal debates with Sadducees and other Jewish religious leaders about the stringent 
correctness of their interpretation of that. So I think you could make the case in some ways this is practical, but it's also more idea centered. There's a sense in which it's a conflict, but it's not reached the point here where it is a kind of uh, forward pitch. I will add though here that of course, this isn't the only gospel that tells a story like this. And in particular, a detail um, that is not included by Luke is I think a fascinating detail. So if you had your Bible in front of you, uh, you would turn to Mark chapter uh, two. And in this uh, verse 27, this is what Jesus says in Mark. He says, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And with that being said, this whole narrative that we have here, um, the Son of the Lord uh, is the Lord of the Sabbath, or Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That we have from Mark, but we have this whole piece missing about human freedom. When you have that kind of thing in a text, I think it's worth pausing and noting that Luke is most likely aware of that. Uh, most biblical scholars talk about how Mark is the thing that the other gospels share most often, so it's likely that they were aware of it. And if that's the case, then it's likely that Luke is leaving that off because, not because he's not necessarily aware, but because he's emphasizing a different part of the story. And I do think here that the emphasis is far less on the human component, and it's far more on who Jesus is. In this case, this is a story about what Jesus makes lawful, because Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of the law. He's even the lawgiver. And that detail, Clint, that that emphasis that Luke is giving, I think it's essential because the conflict that's being had here is not one between, you know, what should humans do or what shouldn't humans do. The conflict at its core is who defines what is lawful. The Pharisees believe they have that in stone, and Jesus is the living law, and so therefore the law looks different when he's at work. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Michael, because if, if you don't have that understanding, it could easily look like Jesus is just doing what the Jewish leaders do. He's arguing about where the rules end. You know, what what are the extent of the rules? Can you pick two heads of grain or three? Can you pick one? Can you not touch them at all? And, and that's not what's happening here. Jesus isn't involved in in a petty argument over what exactly is the rule. It's not a matter of definition. What Jesus is ultimately going to say, and, and this doesn't maybe take us too far down that road, but it, it begins the journey. What Jesus is ultimately going to say is that they misunderstand the whole point of rules, the whole point of law, that they've missed, that they they argue about what the law means, but they don't understand its very purpose. And we're going to see that as we continue through those stories. And so um, not the last time we'll get to have some of this conversation Um you know, and there there are times I, we don't see it here. Maybe we see it in the next story, Michael. To be honest, I, I don't think the I don't think the disciples. Luke doesn't give us the impression that the disciples do this on purpose to sort of no, yeah, yeah, make a point to the Pharisees. We almost maybe get that possibility as we move on to the next story here. So let's jump back in to the text here at verse six. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, 
he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So your point is well taken, Michael, that Luke sort of simmers this for us. We don't jump into full conflict in Luke's gospel, but we have in this story, I think, seen it go up a peg. And Jesus is aware of what they're thinking. The the argument here, and again, just to make sure you understand, uh, um, the idea of healing is not, you could save someone's life on the Sabbath. You could intervene if someone was in danger. You could do something. But but if you were doing something that constituted a non-life-threatening action, then that was considered work, and the and the Pharisees would have generally considered that it should have waited to the next day. If you didn't have to intervene, you could wait, and it didn't have to be done on the holy day. And Jesus, aware of this conversation, and in in Luke here as well, aware of what they're thinking, kind of puts them in a spot. You know, he has the man stand in front of him. He says, you know, okay. Let's talk about why. What what can you do on the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath for good, or is it for harm? And then he tells this man to stretch out. We saw a version of this with the man on the mat, but in that point, Jesus said, "Your sins are forgiven." Here, he doesn't do that. He simply tells the man, "Stretch out your hand," and he does, and his hand was restored. and And what's I think fascinating, what Luke wants us to get, Michael, is the reaction to this text because Mm -hmm. they're filled with fury. And the idea is they're not mad because he healed. They're they're mad because he backed them into the corner. He made a point of argument with them. And then he proved his point by doing this miraculous thing. And now really for the first time, we get the sense that through their eyes, they see Jesus as someone dangerous. Not only did Jesus do this healing and they're and they're really mad about the way that he's abusing what their interpretation of the law i I think it's fascinating to point out they're not even surprised that he can heal i mean luke makes that explicitly clear it says they're wanting to see whether he would not if he could there is in luke's telling of this story no question about jesus's capability the question is, what lines are Jesus willing to cross? And from Luke's perspective, you know, the Pharisees stand in between Jesus and this man. They they stand with their rule book and their expectations, and here's this man with a withered hand, a, a life that would surely be affected by his uh, lessened ability to work, if not inability to work, depending upon the extent and nature of his injuries. What Jesus is offering this man is new life in a concrete, physical, human way. This man gets to live life a new way. The thing that the Pharisees see is a legal question of not whether the man should be healed or certainly even could be healed. The question is, can you do it on this day? And I think that what Luke is exposing for us is 
not a at its core a lack of faith on the part of the Pharisees. What what it exposes is a inherently small minded, very narrow focused uh, kind of faith, and we are showed that the heart behind this was never one of real question because, as you said so clearly, Clint, um, the emotion that follows this is not one of those who've been taught something different or who have been contradicted and see um, that there might be merit in it. No, they're filled with fury, which leads them to a discussion about what they might do to Jesus. And there Luke is, it's not even shorthand. I mean, Luke is making it clear, as you say, we, we've gone up another level in the conflict, and the Pharisees now have reached a point where they feel that Jesus is uh, of a particular level of concern that they need to begin taking action against him. And I think it's just striking. They're not doing that because Jesus helped a person. They're not doing it because they were surprised that he could do it. They're doing it because he showed them the power that he has, and it conflicted with what they thought he should do. You know, it, it's really, if you read it slowly and sort of put the characters in conversation with one another, it's really a pretty dramatic scene. There's a man there. Jesus is there. The Pharisees are there. They see the man. They know Jesus could heal him, but they're wondering if he will. They believe he shouldn't. Jesus knows that they believe he shouldn't. Jesus calls the man to stand out in front of everyone. Then he says words that are really for the Pharisees and not for the man. And then he heals the man on the Sabbath, thereby doing his thing and not their thing. It's kind of a showdown that we have here. And um, you could you could argue whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. I think that would be an interesting conversation, Michael. But from the Pharisees' perspective, what Jesus has done here is an act of defiance. Yeah, that they they believe they understand the law, and they believe Jesus should understand the law, and yet he's he's kind of called them out, and they've had this showdown in public, and he's made a very clear sign of defying them, Mm -hmm. of not doing what they believe he should do. And in their mind, I think that's what offends them. I think that's what angers them. This isn't a miscommunication. This is a fundamental disagreement. And Jesus' question to them is essentially, how can your rules be of God if they keep you from doing good things for people? If, if, If your rules mean that a man doesn't get his life back and his hand healed, how can that be a godly rule? And they don't they don't want to engage that conversation. I mean, that, that's a terrifying question for them. And the reaction, not surprisingly, for, you know, whenever we're guilty of self-righteousness, anger is not far behind. And so they're infuriated. You know, this is an intentional grouping of stories. And I'm not going to go backwards. I certainly, if you haven't seen the studies before this, definitely jump back and watch those. But we began with Jesus dining with tax collectors. The Pharisees were upset about that. Then Jesus teaches about fasting uh, when the disciples are eating and drinking and the Pharisees are wondering why why aren't your disciples doing these spiritual practices. Then we had what we had earlier today, the questions about Sabbath, about what can you do and what can't you do, the eating food. Make note of the fact that here, 
this is, I believe, and Clint, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe that this is the first one of this grouping of stories that makes it clear that Jesus knows what they're thinking. So here, when Jesus does this action, it's sort of the culmination of all these stories we've had before. Jesus has been sparring with the Pharisees in lots of different ways. But here, this is a setup. When Jesus heals this man, he knows what they're thinking. He knows that they're going to be upset by this action. He knows that the thing that they're focused on is the fact it's the Sabbath and not restoring this man's life. And so really, we've reached this pinnacle moment in his relationship with the Pharisees where when push comes to shove, it's not academic. For Jesus, when push comes to shove, this is not a philo- philosophy or theology debate. This isn't the kind of thing that you just do over the lunch table and then you know you go home and, and you go back to the rest of your life. No, when Jesus comes to the end of this grouping of stories, he's going to make a choice full well knowing what it means, and he makes it um, even though it incites the Pharisees to make the case that he's the maker of the law, they are not. He's the one with the power, they are not. And it reminds me of that saying that the crowd gave um, all the way back in his first sermon. This is a man who teaches with authority. I, I think that that is a, uh, an important sort of growth that we see happening in Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees, one that they don't particularly enjoy. Yeah, and— uh, there's a there's a lot written on this. You can find a lot of great articles. There's a lot of scholarship. The, the sort of question is: Are the scriptures hard on the Pharisees? Yes, there would have been Pharisees that were favorable to these ideas. Pharisees was it was not a rigid category. They didn't all agree with each other. But the Pharisee becomes this sort of code word that the New Testament uses for a self-righteous, legalistic kind of faith. Um, You would have probably appreciated the Pharisees in their day. They were devout people. They were genuine people. They would have made pretty good neighbors. They they, they really were intent on doing, doing the right thing for the most part, but they perceive Jesus as a threat. They they see the changes that Jesus is sort of implementing. They see Jesus, you know, eating with the, the sinners, and now they see him doing things on the Sabbath. And they can't make room for Jesus within their sort of closed system. And I think it, it's easy to think that's about the Pharisees, Michael, and and it is. I mean, obviously, the stories that it's the Pharisees who are furious with Jesus— but I think the lesson in that for all of us, whatever label we would put on ourselves, is do our boxes make room for new truth? Jesus is always going at some level to dismantle what we think we already know in order to give us a new way forward and to broaden our understanding of who God is, who we are, and what our responsibilities are towards others. And you know, I, I think when I see the Pharisees, I see ultimately an example of a people who, who are so entrenched in their own stuff that they can't make room to see even the fa- They don't see the healing, they, right? That's yeah. the ultimate irony here. They see Jesus fix a man's hand with his words, Right, and all they can think of is about the day he did it and whether he broke a rule. And th- there is a lesson in all in that for all of us because self righteousness is such a dangerous 
trap and it and it keeps us from seeing anything new that God might be trying to show us. And, and so we yes, we have to be aware that Jesus is conflicted with the Pharisees, but rather than being too hard on the Pharisees, I think we have to read that also as a, a caution to ourselves. And I'll be very brief with this, Clint. Uh, and this is a, a challenging way to read this text, but this last verse, they're filled with fury and discuss with one another what they might do. I think our temptation is to think of the Pharisees as they and think that those bad opponents were the ones who were furious. But I wonder if there's also not a lesson in the text for us here that if we encounter Jesus for who he is, there are times that we're going to be furious too. And I I submit to you, when Jesus calls you to love your neighbor, you might be quick to do so. When he says, love your enemies, there's going to be times that's going to make us very furious. I don't want to love that person. I don't want to find within myself the capacity for forgiveness. I don't want to give when I would rather take. I mean, there's a sense here in which I think if we're honest, Clint, um, Jesus does call us into areas of life that stretch us beyond our ability to do by ourselves. I think here the Pharisees illustrate that. They're people who stand at the scene of an amazing miracle that restores a man's hand, his health, his life. Um, And yet, in that moment, they're furious about him doing the thing he shouldn't have done. And that, I think, is the basic human temptation that we ourselves have And the question is, when we encounter the living Christ and he calls us into those places, will we too plot what we'll do against him, or will we uh, see the great gift, the grace that's offered in his presence? I don't want to insinuate that this is in the text, but I think the text is a springboard that might take us that direction. I I think maybe the Gospels paint a picture of Jesus as the one who is always most interested in in the areas of our life that we are least interested in Jesus being a part of. Whatever it is that we want to section off and say, you know, that's off limits, Jesus. That's the place Jesus wants to start. And not surprisingly, for the Pharisees, it, that place is law. That place is self-righteousness. That place is rigidness. And Jesus Jesus confronts them in the place that they're least able to see him. But that's true for all of us. It may be different places, maybe different issues, but Jesus is most interested in what we're least interested in him being a part of. And, uh, you know, I think we see that here. I think, friends, that will bring us to the end for today and then also for this week. We'll continue in our study in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, but we continue next week. Until then, like this video, helps others find it in the future when they're studying the Bible themselves. And uh, be sure to join us for worship uh, on Sunday at 9. Until One then, service. That's right, one service. Thanks. Uh, yeah, be blessed. Have a great weekend.